You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. My name's Tyler Holder, and I'm excited to open up God's Word with you today. Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. And as you turn to Philippians 4, let me just ask a, a simple question. How many of you have ever pursued something in your life? Right? Absolutely. I can remember when I first met my wife, I wanted nothing more than to know her. In fact, we met at Liberty University 10 years ago. And when we first met, if you, now she's not in here, so she can't refute this. I would say she fell in love with me the first time she saw me. She would say it took a while. But when I saw her, I was amazed. I was mesmerized. I wanted to get to know her so much so that as I was eating in the cafeteria, now when I say cafeteria, think 1950s, back to the future, gross, long tables, open spaces, cafeteria. As I'm eating at the cafeteria at Liberty, I see her walk by. And I start yelling, just screaming her name, just as loud as I can. And she's not, she's not paying attention. It's like she's just brushing me off. And I keep yelling and screaming and yelling and screaming. And she just eats her food, stands up, puts her tray up. And I look at her, I'm like, what in the world? Does she not know? that I'm wanting to, to get to know her. So she's walking out, and I run up to her. And I look, and I go, Jolene, Jolene. And she looks at me, and she goes, my name's Janelle. <laughs> and she walked off. And I was like, okay. Well, the point of it was that I was passionately pursuing you. Like, I want to get to know you. Now, regardless of if her name's Janelle or Jolene, that doesn't matter. What matters is, is that I was willing to make a fool of myself to pursue this woman. Like, I wanted to know her. And over the past 10 years, I have progressively gotten to know my wife better, right? I, I've known what makes her angry, what makes her happy, what makes her sad. I, I know how to push her buttons, right, husbands? Right? Does anybody know how to push your wife's buttons? Absolutely. But I keep pursuing her. Why? Because I haven't yet arrived. I haven't yet arrived at fully understanding and knowing my wife. She's a complex creature. And it, every week, I learn more and more and more. Now, I have a passionate pursuit for my wife, right? I, I, I want her to feel prized and cherished in my mind. But my passionate pursuit shouldn't end there. And as we look at Philippians chapter 3 this morning, what we'll see is that we'll see Paul telling us that we have the ability, in fact, the, the call to passionately pursue the prize of Christ. And if we don't passionately pursue the prize of Christ, then it's gonna be hard for us to go deeper this year. If we don't passionately pursue the prize of Christ, and if we're not willing to be made a fool, it's gonna be hard for us to go deeper. If we don't understand that Jesus is beckoning and calling and giving us an opportunity to step into something greater and deeper, then it's going to be hard for us as a church, hard for us individually to go deeper. So my hope today, as we look at Philippians chapter 3, my hope is that we'll see that our devotion to Christ needs to have more passion more fervency. It needs to be the ultimate goal of our pursuits because ultimately 
The only way to go deeper this year is to pursue the prize of Christ. To pursue the prize of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If we're to pursue the prize of Christ, then we need to understand that that we need to count gain differently. Now, I'd ask this question, first and foremost, in order for us to count gain differently, what must we do? In order for us to count gain differently, what must we do? A few verses above verse 7, Paul actually takes a moment and gives us a glimpse of who he was before Christ. Look in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrews of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What he's just done is he's given us a glimpse into who he was prior to meeting Christ. He was the pinnacle of society in that day. He had accomplishments and pedigree and achievements that defined who he was. And that is where he placed his hope. That is where he placed his identity. That's what his prize was until he meets Jesus. So if we're going to count gain differently, I would challenge us and and push us to take an honest evaluation of where we are. Because we can't count gain differently if we don't know what we're already counting as gain. So if I don't know where my identity is, if I don't know what I count as valuable, then it's hard for me to look at the prize of Christ and honestly pursue it. So Paul takes a moment and he takes an honest reflection, an honest evaluation of his life before he gets to verse 7. And then he makes that wonderful statement in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. If we don't have a but God statement, then our gains will never be will never be Christ. If we haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is God's holy and man's sinful, Jesus is redeemer and we're called to repent and believe. If we haven't entered into that moment where we can honestly reflect back on our lives and see where we were, see what our gains were, see where our identity was, see what we counted as gain, and then look at Christ and say, but God, It's going to be hard for us to pursue the prize of Christ. Christ won't be considered our prize if we don't consider his saving grace in the light of the gospel. He uses an interesting word in verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That word literally means trash. Or, or animal refuse, right? We, we won't get in. I'm not going to show pictures of that. It'd be weird on a Sunday morning. But what I encourage you to think through is what in your life have you considered rubbish when you view Christ? What in your life, what past crowning achievements are now considered rubbish because of the grace of Christ that's been shed upon you? Now, I'm going to be vulnerable with you real quick. 
There have been moments and achievements in my life that I could hold up as where my identity was. Can I show you one of those achievements? I promise, if you promise not to laugh, this strapping young man is a 15-year-old freshman, and I was voted most school-spirited, right? If you don't know, I was a cheerleader for one basketball season. They didn't ask me that in my interview, nor would I have shared. This is a crowning achievement for me. Ninth grade year, a freshman in high school. What's my identity wrapped up in? My identity is wrapped up in the fact that people valued me. That I was able to uh, have a superlative in the year. That, that my life was wrapped up in what I could do, in my accomplishments, in my achievements. I had yet to have my but God moment. My gains up to this point were frivolous compared to the worth of knowing Christ. So whereas this can be an identity for me, now that I've engaged and entered into a relationship with Jesus, it's not my identity anymore. So I count gain differently. I count gain differently because of what Christ has done in my heart. Now in order for us to count gain differently, again, we have to ask a question. How does the world count gain? They count gain through dollars, through trinkets, through esteem, through power. But Christ declares that the last should be first, that to lose your life is to find it. To serve is better than being served. And as we pursue the prize of Christ, we realize that gain is actually loss. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 reminds us of that. That to lose your life for his sake is to find it. Why is pursuing Christ better than my achievements? Because if I don't have Christ in my life, I'll never achieve enough. If I don't have Christ in my life, there will never be a moment where, I'm, where I will say, I've made it. But with Christ in my life, I can echo what he says on the cross, that it's finished, that my hope and my identity is placed in Jesus, that I no longer view the world as something for me to attain or to gain, but I view it through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of his gospel, through the lens of a transforming relationship, and I'm able to say with certainty, my gain is loss for the sake of Christ. So if we're going to pursue Christ, if we're going to pursue the prize of Christ and go deeper this year, Step one is that we need to understand and count gain differently. That our identity can no longer be found in the achievements of this world, but it's found in the light of Christ. So that honestly, we can take a look at what we've accomplished. We can take a look at what we've done. We can take a look at everything that we have. And through the lens of Christ, honestly say it's rubbish compared to Jesus. So has there come a point where you have honestly considered your past crowding achievements as rubbish? I hope there has. Not only do we count gain differently, but look at verse 9. We count righteousness differently. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In order to pursue the prize of Christ, it starts with putting no confidence in our flesh, putting no confidence in self-righteousness. Here in our culture and in society today, there's, there's two types of righteousness. 
There's self-righteousness, and there's righteousness through faith in Jesus. Self-righteousness would declare that, that we haven't made, right? I'm pretty sure that I can compare myself to you and find something that I'm better at. Therefore, I'm righteous in my eyes. A self-righteousness depends on what I've done, depends on who I am, it depends on what I've made, it depends on everything about me. But Paul flips it on us and he says it's not a righteousness of the law, it's not a righteousness based off who you are or your ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it's not that type of righteousness that defines you, it's a righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. The word righteousness is, is actually a legal term that Paul uses. And here's the beautiful part about the word. The word righteousness, when Paul uses it, it's a word that literally a judge will look at you and declare you clear, clean, no longer guilty, regardless of your moral reality. In other words, you don't have to have it all figured out to be viewed righteous in God's sight through Christ. Praise the Lord. If we had to have it all figured out, None of us would be here. If we had to have it all figured out, then we'd still be striving in our own self-righteousness. But through the power of the cross, through the power of Christ, we are able to count righteousness differently. We're able to come to the feet of Jesus, rely upon his sacrifice over our own merit, and really relinquish the pressure and the idea that we need to pursue, 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 because if I don't tip the eternal scales in my favor through my activity, then what am I gonna do when eternity comes? So it's not a self-righteousness that we count. It's a righteousness through faith. A righteousness that comes through faith in Christ and honestly says that we aren't good, that we aren't correct, that we aren't right, that we can never do enough to tip any scale in our favor, and that's why Christ came. Rest in that freedom. Because it's not just counting gain differently. It's not just understanding that our righteousness is considered different. No, no, no. It's a freeing factor that we no longer have to provide merit for what we've done. We no longer have to pursue anything other than Jesus and Jesus alone. Because it's finished at the cross. So to pursue the prize of Christ... One, we count gain differently. Two, we count righteousness differently. Look at verses 10 and 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We count knowing differently. Our goal is to know Christ. And there's danger here. Because scores of people will tell you that they know Jesus, but they're not known by Jesus. There's a big difference. For me, that moment came when I was 17 years old. And up until that point, I would tell you over and over and over again, I know all about Jesus. I know who he is. I know what he's done. I know what the Bible says. But up until 17 years old, I was never known by Jesus. I never experienced the power of his resurrection. I had yet to experience fellowship in his sufferings. I had yet to become like him in his death. So how do we count knowing differently? 
If our goal is to be known by Christ, one, we count the power of his resurrection differently. The first evidence of the power of Jesus' resurrection is honestly found in how you respond to the gospel. Because if you're here today, and we're talking about pursuing the prize of Christ, the prize of Christ is rooted in the resurrection. Because if Christ wasn't resurrected, then all this is in vain. So it's rooted in the resurrection. Our first response to Jesus in knowing him and being known by him is our response to his resurrection. The second response, notice further on in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Now we'll just pump the brakes a little bit. I'm from the south, so I'm gonna say a southern word and I want you to stick with me for a moment, okay? Just real quick. You guys ever heard the word bless your heart? I didn't realize it's not one word, but in the south we slur it together. Okay? When we consider suffering, our response is usually this. Bless your heart. Don't know why that's happening to you. Because we look at suffering as something negative. We look at suffering as a response to something we've done. Whereas Christ views suffering as being ushered into a further deepening relationship of who he is. In 2 Timothy, Paul makes another beautiful statement. He says, the godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted will suffer. So not only do we know Jesus through the power of his resurrection, but we also know Jesus and we count knowing differently through understanding his sufferings. Suffering's not a bad thing. Suffering is not something to just run away from. It's something to be entered into. So we count his resurrection differently. We count knowing him through sufferings differently. And we also count and know him more by becoming like him in his death. The ultimate culmination of knowing Christ and pursuing the prize of Christ is the resurrection. Not his resurrection, that's already happened, but ours with him. So it's hard for us to pursue a prize if we don't know when the end goal is, right? Jesus has told us over and over in his word, nobody knows when he's coming back. So how do we stay motivated to keep pursuing the prize of Christ? Well, by understanding that eternity is our reward. That Christ is our identity. And no longer do we have to pursue frivolous things on earth. So we count gain differently. We count righteousness differently. We count knowing differently. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We count ownership differently when we pursue the prize of Christ. If we're going to pursue the prize of Christ, understand that we count ownership differently. The word that Paul uses here for press on is a word meant for a runner to swiftly catch up to or pursue the victory. Now, I'm kind of a runner, not often, but kind of, and I've never started a race hoping to lose. Has anybody ever started a race thinking, man, I can't wait till I cross the finish line, they've already cleaned up everything? Anybody? No, we don't start something desiring to lose, we start something with purpose. Every runner on a starting line, regardless of your physical ability, thinks they can win. Every single one. And then a mile in, when you see the winner passing you on their way back, you quickly realize, I ain't got this thing. 
The word for press on is a word that's meant to drive us and to create the perspective that in order for us to, to pursue the prize of Christ, we have to run with purpose. And the reason why we run with purpose is because we realize that we aren't our own anymore. Look at what he says at the end of verse 12. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There's a difference There's a difference between you saying, I own, versus I am owned. If we say, I own, I own my life, I own what I do, then it's individualistic. If we say, I'm owned by Christ, then what we're saying is is that we're Christ's servants. We are here to serve Christ. And if our life is not our own, if we're owned by Jesus, then what are we doing with that ownership? Oftentimes, I think I get the perspective that I'm leasing Jesus for a season and I'll turn him in when I'm done. I don't know if you've ever had that perspective. You guys ever leased a car? There's there's an amazing freedom in leasing a car because it's not yours. You can do whatever you want to it. But when you own something or when you're owned by something, it changes. We aren't leasing Jesus for a season if we're pursuing the prize of Christ. We're willingly laying our lives down and saying, it's you who own me. Therefore, my life is different. Let me ask a quick question. Where's the ownership of your faith? Are you still placing your faith in yourself or in your family, in your parents, in those around you? Or are you honestly laying it at the feet of Jesus, saying, I'm owned by you. Christ Jesus made us his own. We are to press on, pursue it as if we're running after a prize because the prize of Christ is greater than any accomplishment or achievement in this world. So if we're to pursue the prize of Christ, if our ultimate desire and culmination is to go deeper with Jesus, then one, we need to understand that it starts with the gospel because we can't go deeper in something we don't have. Two, it starts with counting our gains differently. Our identity isn't wrapped up in our accomplishments and our achievements in my most school-spirited award. That's not where my identity is. So we count gains differently. We also consider righteousness differently. It's not a self-righteousness that I manufacture on my own. It's a righteousness based in faith through Jesus Christ alone. We count knowing differently because we want to be known by our Savior. We want to be known by our Lord. We desire more than anything else to push on, to press on, and to enter into a deeper covenant, a deeper relationship, a deeper knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. We count ownership differently. If you don't know it, if you're a son or daughter of God, then you are not your own. And that changes your life. How would your family look differently if you honestly relinquished your life to the ownership of Jesus? How would your work be different if you relinquished your life to the ownership of Jesus? How would parenting be different? I I have a four-year-old and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old. Do you want to know when I feel like I'm not owned by Jesus? When I look at my kids and they're disobeying. And I just, I want to get you to something bad. And then I give him a hug. Because that's what we do. 
But if we count ownership differently, then it changes the way we view life. It changes what our pursuits are. And finally, we count goals differently. Look at verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, there's that word again, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice the language Paul uses here in this final verse. Straining, press on, prize, goal. Notice they're all active athletic words. Paul's not saying couch potato, sit, soak, relax. I don't think he's ever actually used any of those words. I don't think couch potato is a Greek word. Could be, I don't know. He uses athletic words for a purpose. Why? To challenge our perspective so that there's no question in what we're to do. Our hope of eternity allows us to run the race today. That's why we pursue the prize of Christ. That's why we push on through hardship. That's why we go after the goal. In fact, the word goal, when Paul uses it here in this text, in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize. Again, he uses a specific word. That's the focus. That means the focus of the eye when a runner is in the midst of running a race. I don't know if any of you have ever run a race. When I run races, I get a really mean look on my face. I'm usually a happy, jovial guy. Never met a smiling runner, ever. So when I'm running a race, you get this look. Do you guys know the look? For me, it's this. Why? Because I hate every mile. That's why. If I'm honest with you. And I already know I've lost. But when runners enter into a race, there's a specific look, a specific purpose, a vision for what they're doing. Their eyes are set. They're steadfast. They're unwavering. Because they're pursuing a prize. They're pursuing a goal. They're not going to get distracted to the left or to the right. It doesn't matter if you pass me or if I pass you. Because at the end of the day, my hope and my goal is not how many people I can pass or how many people pass me. At the end of the day, my hope and my goal is the finish line. And for us, the finish line is eternity with Jesus. It's eternity with Jesus. So the prize is the heavenward call of Christ. That's what our prize is. And I've asked the question over and over and over again as I've studied this text, why would I keep pursuing Christ if I have no idea when I'll finish the race? You guys ever asked that question? Why would I keep pursuing Christ if I have no idea when I'll finish this race? There's so many other things I could do. There's so many other things that could distract me. There's so many other pursuits that I could engage in. And at the end of the day, I came down to this statement. I should keep pursuing Christ rather than slack off because the thought of the resurrection motivates me to further purity and service. My desire should be to know every dimension of Jesus by any means possible so that we might find joy in the process of God completing his work in my life. Why would I keep pursuing Christ even though I don't know where the finish line is? Because I can always know more of who he is. 
because I have yet to arrive. It's this paradox of the Christian life. The more you mature, the more you realize you have farther to go. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you realize there's a lot more steps ahead. But the difference is that I'm walking with somebody that's already been there. The difference is that as I experience Christ in a deeper, more amazing, satisfying way, my life, it makes a little bit more sense at the end of the day. Because my goal and my focus is Christ and Christ alone. I'm focused on the end result of my faith. And that's Jesus. Why should we keep pursuing Christ? Honestly, because he's worth it. And any other pursuit will always come up short. How many of you have ever set like a New Year's resolution for yourself? Right? I love setting easy New Year's resolutions. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. <laughs> Got it. Like, praise the Lord. Check it off. If we set an easy goal for ourselves, when we attain it, we're still dissatisfied. Right? If we look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, and if we run and press on and desire and pursue because of eternity, because our view is eternity, then what happens is that we're motivated because we're never there. There's always another step. There's always another process. There's always another thing. There's always another sin that's uncovered. I always mess up with my kids. I always mess up with my wife. I always mess up with my coworkers. So why pursue Jesus? Because any other pursuit, once you attain it, is frivolous. Any other pursuit, once you pour your energy and time into it, is worthless. If it's done for you and not Jesus. So as you come to a close today, I would ask this question. What's the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus going to look like? What is it going to look like? It's going to look like a few things. I would say the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus first takes training. It takes training. Remember, we need to re-engage our focus. So many of us are living with our eyes fixed on the rearview mirror. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. He's forgotten what lies behind. It's not the past that's your identifier anymore. It's Jesus. And as you pursue the prize of Christ, understand first that it takes training. Re-engage your focus. Leave behind your former ways and fix your eye as a runner fixes his eyes in the race on the heavenward call of Christ Jesus. That's your focus. That's your goal. That's your desire. But it takes training. It also takes effort. It takes effort. Why? Because everything in us wants to rail against the thought and idea that Christ owns me. Everything in us. It takes effort for me to turn my heart away from my sinful flesh. Turn it towards Jesus and honestly pursue him. It takes effort for me to understand that my faith and my hope and my life is not my own, but it's Christ's. And when I understand that I belong to Jesus and that I should run swiftly with purpose... And it gives me something to pursue. So not only does it take training, not only does it take effort, but it takes pain. How many of you have ever had the good idea to get up and run 10 miles when you've never run before? It's a horrible idea. 
takes pain because anything worthy of pursuit takes pain to get there. Don't view suffering as something negative. Don't view suffering as something negative. It's something that we've been promised. And for us to pursue the upward call means that we must die to ourselves and live for Christ. And understand it's always painful to shed our sinful selves. It's always painful. But it's worth it. To pursue the upward call of Christ Jesus, it will be painful. But it will be worth it. So it takes training, it takes effort, it takes pain. It also takes pursuit. Pursuing the prize of Christ has its roots in an ever-deepening righteousness established through faith. You're never going to arrive. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue. In this life, you will never arrive. Doesn't mean you should stop running. Our goal is to gain Christ. And my hope, honestly, this morning is that as you sit and as you listen and as you look at Philippians chapter 3, that you'll see that our hope is Christ. That to pursue the prize of the upward call of Jesus should be our desire this year and really honestly for our whole life because he's worth it. And he calls us to something greater. And he calls us to something deeper. So today the challenge is this. If this is our goal, how are we doing? If the gospel message that God is holy and we are not, that Christ is redeemer and you need to repent and believe, if that is true in your life, then what prize have you been pursuing since your but God moment? Honestly, for me, sometimes I'll pursue my own prize for a season until I realize, man, that was easy to accomplish. And now I still feel just as empty as I did when I started. How are we doing? If you've never engaged Jesus, if you've never understood the saving grace that comes in an understanding of the gospel, then you can't pursue the prize of Christ you don't have Christ so our challenge is twofold this morning one how are you doing believer in Jesus Christ have you been training putting out effort enduring pain and pursuing Jesus if not how can we because the prize is the upward call and if you're a non-believer if you don't know who Jesus is then let me challenge you God's holy and we're not. We'll always come up short. But luckily we have a redeemer. And his name is Jesus. And he calls you to repent and believe. And I challenge you to consider doing that this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are our reward. That pursuing the call of the up, that pursuing the upward call of Christ culminates in a further deepening and understanding of who you are. So, Father, today, 
As we open our hearts before you, I pray that you would challenge our affections if they are anything but you. Lord, I pray that you would push us to a deeper understanding, to a deeper relationship, to a deeper desire to pursue the prize. Father, I pray that you would awaken hearts today to your saving grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.